0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt,
1: Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector.
0: Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And today we are going to take a look at some of the stories that have crossed our news desk in the last week. So... First up, what ingredients would you use to make something that could cure and guard against coronavirus? Any guesses? Uh, Pfizer
1: or AstraZeneca or, you know, yeah, I'm just going to say vaccine. That's going
0: to be my, that's my guess. Okay, so no, no household objects you think might might be, you know, useful in the meantime? Uh, wash your hands and sing happy birthday. I mean, <laughs> let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, so it turns out, no, not even that. All you need is oil and string. Huh. Who knew? Um, Okay, I'm going to jump in very quickly because that's a bit. And obviously that isn't true at all. Um, You know, please don't make any medical decisions based on our snarky podcast intros. Please don't do that. Um, So uh, the reason the reason I'm cheerfully spreading fake news and misinformation on on the the airwaves is uh, that uh, we've had a story this week that the Charity Commission has appointed an interim manager to the Kingdom Church GB which is a charity that had been accused of selling plague protection kits, which it was claimed would cure and protect against the COVID-19 virus. And these kits, it seems, consisted largely of oil and string. Not clear about the types of oil, the types of string, but yeah. Um, So yes, Uh, We should note that the charity says it wasn't selling the kits itself. They were being sold by a separate company uh, called Bishop Climate Ministries, run by one of the charity's trustees. But anyway, uh, the commission wanted to take a look at the charity um, because of these uh, coronavirus kit stories. um, And they found some financial issues involving the organisation's bank accounts, opened an inquiry and has now installed an interim manager to oversee the running of the charity. Um, So it turns out there were some other issues there as well as these coronavirus kits. Um so yeah but that story pretty funny um also not so funny in some ways so to reiterate don't use oil and string to treat or guard against covid um we're not clear about the types of oil or string please don't do that uh get a vaccine if and when you can wash your hands follow the government guidelines and don't don't try and fleece presumably vulnerable scared people by trying to sell them snake oil absolutely um so yeah that was that was a quick story to kick us off with
1: So next up, we're going to touch very briefly on the budget. Um, It will have come out a week ago at the time we're recording this and will be more like a week and a half ago uh, when the episode goes live. So I think people um, have said about everything there is to say about it. But the spring budget once again managed to be simultaneously not all that surprising, but somehow disappointing for the charity sector. It came with a few key takeaways it's worth noting. First up is that Rishi Sunak announced that the government's coronavirus job retention, or the furlough scheme, which has been used by thousands of charities, will be extended until September, with employers asked to pay 10% towards the costs of furloughed employees in July and rising to 20% in August. So, yes, furloughing once again. But as we know, a lot of charities can't use or really benefit from that.
0: Yeah. And I just one of the things that since this has been announced, there's been a lot of kind of jokes or snark or kind of conversations where people are saying, oh, it's interesting that the lockdown is supposed to be or all social restrictions are supposed to be ending in June. But the furlough schemes going on until September, what's going on there? That actually feels like a good thing to me that, that you know, as we were discussing in the last episode, when talking about live fundraising events, things aren't going to snap back to normal straight away. Um, so the idea that employers, you know, might want to, you know, give it a bit of time that business may not pick up, that, that income streams, you know, for whatever sort of organization you have may not pick up straight away. That actually seems fairly sensible to me. And you know, when lots of people are making the same joke and you think, have I missed something? Am I, is, is there a reason this is wrong or, uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, actually that, that seems pretty helpful because, you know, as we were saying, you know, the charities that are able to take advantage of the furlough scheme, they're not going to be able to just be straight back up on their feet with the same income streams that they had before from June immediately. So uh, yeah, it's quite good news that that will last until September. So next up, we've got social investment tax relief, which was due to end in April. Uh, That's going to be extended for a further two years. Um, So I think that that will be a relief to a lot of people. Absolutely. And then we've also got a £150 million community ownership scheme, which will offer match funding of up to £250,000 for people looking to purchase local assets of value to their community, such as pubs or post offices. And this is something that I know locality deals with a lot, these small community groups, sometimes they're charities, sometimes they're not, that, yeah, take over a local asset uh, to stop it kind of, you know, falling into the hands of developers, being sold off and not being accessible to the community. Um, and particularly pubs. Um, we did a piece, I did a piece a few years ago, which was one of my favourite ever, you know, suggestions, as you know, just this might be a nice thing to cover for the small charity section of the magazine, uh, was the Ivy House in Broccoli, uh, or Nunhead kind of area of Southeast London, London, uh, is one of these pubs that a few years ago was being sold off. Developers were looking at it and the community moved to buy it and it's now a community-run pub and it's a really nice pub it's a real kind of hub of the community um yeah and and yeah i managed to i suggest this in an editorial meeting that you know perhaps somebody should go down and you know do some in-depth investigative reporting of what the atmosphere in the bar was like and uh, i can confirm it was great i had a great time It's
1: a great story. I used to go drinking in the Ivy House when I was a teenager. That was where we would have kind of 18th birthday parties and that sort of thing. And (laughs) it was going to be turned into residential property. And it was in 2012 that a group of community volunteers just organised to buy it out. After obtaining a mixture of kind of grants and funds, um, including a grant from the Social Investment Business Group of £450,000, they were able to buy the building for eight hundred and ten pounds plus stamp duty. Um, and so it is it is now a community-owned organisation. It's been able to stay as a pub and it's just, just a great spot. So I think it, it would be a brilliant thing if we do actually start to see more of these organisations being taken on by communities uh, as a result of this uh, budgetary Announcement.
0: Yeah, and if after lockdown has ended, if you would like us to come and and do a similar thing for your uh, pub or organisation, we would be very happy to come and do that. (laughs) Please do let us know. Please do invite us to come. More top lines from the budget
1: are that an extra three hundred million pounds will be going into the government's one point six billion pound culture recovery fund. Uh, That's a fund designed to help arts and cultural organisations through the pandemic. And there is also going to be a further ninety million pounds for government sponsored museums and cultural bodies in England. Charities that run shops or have retail schemes could also be benefiting from a windfall as they are potentially going to be eligible for restart grants of up to six grand that will help them get back on their feet once shops reopen.
0: Brilliant. Um, and there's also going to be an additional £19 million to support domestic abuse programmes and £10 million to support armed forces veterans with mental health issues, which are areas where obviously charities are doing a lot of work. The government also plans to extend the apprenticeship hiring incentive scheme in England to September and to increase the payment to £3,000, which obviously, again, for charities that are taking on apprentices, that's going to be really good news. Um, and uh, another little thing that the maximum amount for contactless payments will increase from 45 pounds to 100 pounds, which will affect the amounts charities could take in through contactless donations. And we've talked before about um, sort of fundraising, and actually contactless donations probably are going to pay a, a much bigger part in fundraising because people are less likely to want to exchange, you know, goods. Nobody wants to put their hand in a bucket full of coins that lots of people have touched. Um, also just carrying less cash so this is this is a, a really helpful um uh, little thing for charities
1: yeah but i do think actually before I, I go on to the but i do think it's brilliant to see 19 million pounds going to mm. domestic abuse programs i think that's amazing i think that domestic abuse charities have done just such phenomenal work in the last year in putting their cause areas forward and making the government realize the the urgency of them and it's really really good to see money being put behind that as well because it has mm. been such an urgent topical issue during this pandemic. Um, And it's nice to actually see that area getting some support. So that I did think was was a really positive outcome. Um, It would be nice if the same energy was being applied more broadly across the sector where there are a lot of very urgent and necessary cause areas. But perhaps that's a positive sign. Who knows?
0: Yeah.
1: However, Helpful, though, these measures are you will notice that there is ultimately not a lot of charity specific content in the budget. And there certainly isn't that £10 billion fund we were hoping for to make up the cash that has been lost. So as you can imagine, the sector is very much not impressed with what came out in the budget. Uh, The charity leaders body Akivo said the government was taking the charity sector for granted, while the charity finance group said the government had once again failed to recognise that vital role civil society plays. And we've spoken about this numerous times on the podcast. I think Jay Kennedy of the Directory of Social Change has to get a special mention for accusing the government of behaving like space robots. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a term I've ever heard before, but it's surprisingly effective. Um, Pulling absolutely no punches, Kennedy said that the budget was another tragic exhibition of the gaping black hole in the consciousness of leading politicians and policymakers when it comes to civil society. Ouch. And yes, he went on to say that like space robots programmed only to speak the language of business and macroeconomics, the chancellor and his colleagues simply don't understand or value the central role played by charities and other voluntary organisations, not just in the economy, but in supporting public services that millions of people rely on.
0: Just one of my favourite quotes of of recent years, uh, partly because it's both Brilliant, and it's true. Uh so more statements like that, please, guys. We will absolutely publish them. Yes, absolutely. More space robots. I think we did have one a few years ago where somebody, I want to say it was a cricketer, I want to say Ian Botham or somebody described the RSPB as being like a vampire squid. Huh. It was a really weird story from a few years ago, and it was somebody was upset about grouse hunting, and I'm not clear who wanted to shoot the grouse and who didn't, mm. but yeah, he accused the RSPB of behaving like giant vampire squids or something like that. It was it was a real kind of like nonsensical and and to be fair, alfagetti spaghetti. Yeah, statement. It, it didn't seem terribly fair on the RSPB just to be clear, but uh yeah, that that did stick <laughs> in my mind.
1: In charity moves this week, Kevin Watkins has announced he is stepping down from the chief executive role at Save the Children after five years in post. Um, Announcing the move, Watkins acknowledged that he had led the charity through what he calls a turbulent time. His tenure spanned the Charity Commission inquiry into Save the Children's handling of sexual harassment allegations against former senior staff, including his predecessor, Justin Forsyth. The inquiry found serious failings in how the charity had handled the allegations. At the time, Alexia Pepper cares and Shaister Aziz, who founded the Aid2 campaign, um, called for Watkin to resign and pointed out that he was a safe trustee at the time that concerns were raised. Uh, Watkins rejected their calls, but a year on he has now announced that he will be leaving the charity.
0: And we should say in the interest of fairness that Save the Children has made some really impressive progress in some areas since the commission investigation opened in 2018. Our diversity survey in August last year found that Save the Children was one of only three in the biggest 50 fundraising charities whose makeup of their board and their senior leadership teams reflected the UK population in terms of racial and gender diversity. When we did this survey, I actually spoke to Kirsty McNeil, the Executive Director of Policy, Advocacy and Campaigns at Save the Children, um, and she was appointed, I think, after the investigation had opened. But she pointed out that the scandal had forced the charity to really look honestly at where their own lack of diversity may have contributed to the problem and to begin resolving it. So they really have taken some steps to address it. Um, Kevin Watkins is expected to continue working on issues that Save the Children is tackling. He said in a statement that he will be looking at child survival and education, as well as spending more time researching and writing. And sticking with senior departures in the charity sector, we've also seen this week that Cancer
1: Research UK has cut the size of its top management team by half, dropping from 10 staff members on the executive team to five. As part of the restructure, the charity has also brought on two team members with significant private sector experience. Angela Morrison joins the charity as chief operating officer and Richard Newsom will be its chief technology officer.
0: Michelle Mitchell, the chief executive of Cancer Research UK, said... In this time of uncertainty, Cancer Research UK has needed to make changes to become more agile, more focused and more efficient than ever before. The restructure of our executive board is part of a new phase in the life of Cancer Research UK. Um, And I just thought this story was interesting because we've been hearing a lot about how the big charities, which are these massive, multi-million pound organisations, need to behave in a more agile, flexible way, like for a number of years, this has been said, um, particularly around fundraising. Um, The comparison that's often made is that in these current structures, changing course in these organisations is like turning an oil tanker around, like it's slow and difficult, they have a massive turning circle. Mm. Um, So CRUK is the biggest fundraising charity in the UK, and it has really been hit hard by the pandemic. So it's going to be really interesting to see if slimming down the leadership team has this effect of making it more agile and efficient in, in ways that So we've been hoping might happen for a number of years or people have been warning needs to happen for a number of years. Turning on to cause areas, the
1: proportion of people who list children's charities as among their favourite causes has plummeted over the past decade, new research has found. The research consultancy NFP Synergy polls members of the public on their favourite cause areas and normally you'd expect to find cancer, animals and children and young people always solidly in the top three. But this week, the consultancy announced that the proportion of people who named children and young people as being among one of their top causes had fallen from 42% in 2010 to 23% in its latest polling, which was conducted in November
0: last year. Right, so the consultancy said that most cause areas have suffered a dip in popularity during the pandemic last year, but the outbreak seemed to have exacerbated the fall in popularity for children and young people's charities. Um, So it pointed out that COVID-19 has made it extremely difficult for charities not intimately related to the pandemic to maintain relevance in the public eye. They're just becoming less prominent in the public's mind, and that might well be behind this recent trend. But it also pointed out that animal charities seem to have managed to maintain that connection, despite not obviously being linked to the pandemic. And, you know, maybe one could speculate it's because people have been, you know, adopting dogs or buying dogs during the pandemic and have been thinking about it more, maybe. It doesn't make sense to
1: me, though. It doesn't track because we've seen, you know, young people are one of the most pressing issues in this pandemic. We are looking at the mental health crises happening among children, the fact that they're falling behind educationally. um, And there are so many unbelievable organisations out there like UK Youth and Bernardo's who have been doing so much to keep young people safe over the pandemic, you know, fair share in the work that they've been doing around free school meals. If anything, I'd say this has been one of the things that's been at the forefront. So it's, it's really interesting to see that the public connection to them, according to this poll,
0: and it is just one poll, does appear to have fallen. I suppose my thinking on that, and this is pure speculation, would be that if people are giving to things like fair share, that's not necessarily a children and young people's charity, but obviously the hook has been free school meals and has been ch- around children. Mm. So perhaps people aren't necessarily, you know, that they are pouring that concern that they have for children and young people into a cause area that isn't actually specifically about children, but it's having a knock-on effect about children. You know, that was always one of the kind of comments about kind of, um, you know, Labour's targets to reduce child poverty was like, well, if if you raise the parents out of poverty, you raise the children out of poverty um and and that so maybe there's something going on there around you know causes that are helping families and Mm. adults are having a knock-on effect on helping children perhaps that could well be it that's a very good
1: observation um interestingly uh even though public health has been a big part of this pandemic um non-cancer health charities have remained relatively stable in terms of public popularity they haven't fallen but they haven't increased either um but nfp synergy says that with public health set to remain top of the agenda for the rest of this year and beyond it's very likely that health saving lives could cement a position among the top three favorites with the public for the longer term um What's quite interesting is that 16% of the samples said they didn't have any favourite charity, which is down slightly from the 17% figure recorded in August last year. And that was the highest point ever. So NFP Synergy says that this is fairly worrying, purely because in a year where charities have been more... mm, where people. Charities have been more... I suppose charities have been more reliant on people than ever. Yeah. So it's only a small dro- uh, drop. It's only a small drop, but NFP synergy warns it is a pretty worrying one. Given that in a year where people have been more reliant on charities than ever, and the sector has played that key and crucial role in providing much-needed support, advice, and services, it's kind of worrying evidence that the public might have become
0: less engaged with charities overall. And this is this is something that we've been thinking about a lot, right? That it, it, people, I think, in a day-to-day sense don't understand how much impact charities have on their everyday lives on their communities on what's going on around them how much work is is done and funded and supported by charities Um, and i just i do find the psychology of cause areas and who gives to what really really interesting Um, i i think we tend to think that our values and the things that we care about you know, our priorities for society are relatively fixed and constant, right? We assume that we know what we care about and and that's going to stay the same. And, you know, that's one of the things that people often bring up as an objection to street fundraising and even charity DRTV ads is they say, well, I know what I care about. If I'm going to give to charity, I'll do it under my own initiative and I don't need to be asked. And that's just not true. It's just not the case. We think we don't need to be asked and reminded, but we absolutely do. And that's not because... People are inherently selfish and need to be badgered, but it's just because of how people work, right? We can't hold all of these worries and all of these things together in our brains in one go. And particularly in the past year, when we've had so many personal concerns, there is so much to worry about and to focus on in our own lives. We may well need to be prompted and reminded, hey, did you, did you want to help with this thing? You know, this thing is still a problem. It's still going on. Children are still hungry. Children need education. Animals are still in shelters. The planet is still warming up all of these things we do need to be reminded periodically that they're still an issue um and i think that's why charities do and should be able to shout about both the work they're doing and the importance of their cause area um and you know it is really important for charities to be able to occupy that public space and to and to talk about what they're doing couldn't agree with you more
1: yeah And I I hope that this is just a momentary blip and we are going to see that public connection with charities ticking right back up again in future years. But we'll finish up with a more positive news story this week to ease us into our coronavirus care package, which is the news that charities could be able to access up to £9 million in additional grant funding after the government lifted allowance rules that were capped by outdated European Union state aid rules. This is a lobbying success story. The Charity Retail Association and the Charity Tax Group highlighted the fact that charity shops had previously been denied access to lockdown grants as the government applied the old EU state aid rules. So the groups pointed out that the UK was no longer bound by these rules thanks to Brexit. But there seemed to still be some confusion around grant limits, something that was being made worse by a lack of
0: communication from government and local authorities. So the new guidance that has been issued means that charities with substantial retail, hospitality and leisure property portfolios, including charity shops, can now access up to £1.9 million in business grants each, up from about £860,000 previously. An extra £9 million, up from £2.6 million previously, will be available to charities that meet additional criteria, including having experienced a 30% reduction in turnover. So the bodies we just talked about, the CRA and the CTG, are calling on the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy to ensure local authorities apply the changes immediately so that charities do not miss out on the increased funding. The first application deadline is the 31st of March and we'll put more information on how to access that in the show notes. So that's what's been going on this week. For more on the week's news, obviously you can always check out the Third Sector website. Each week, as usual, we
1: are bringing you a mini coronavirus care package. Good news stories that we've spotted in the sector.
0: So first up, we've had a lot of marine life on this section in the podcast, uh, as Emily's particular favourite. Um, but I also feel like we've had a lot of dogs on and for which we make no apologies, frankly. We're fine with that. We're fine with that. They're all good boys. Yes. And indeed girls, I believe. I think this one is and a girl. girls. Yes. Um, so uh, this week's dog is Sydney, who is a mini Australian Labradoodle and is very, very cute. We will put pictures on the Twitter feed. Um, she and her human Wendy Farrington, have have trudged 100 miles through 12 inches of snow in New York to help raise money for East Anglia's Children's Hospices. So East Anglia's Children's Hospices, or EACH, has forecast an operational deficit of £2 million over the next year, owing to disruption caused by the pandemic. Um, So it called out for people to run, walk or cycle 100 miles during February as part of its Each Mile Counts fundraising campaign. Jane Rue Milligan, uh, who is an each music therapist based at the Nook at the Charities Hospice in Norfolk, decided to take part. And she set herself a target of £100 and asked friends around the world to help her. Eight of them, including Wendy, joined the challenge from the UK, the US and Australia. And Sydney was not the only dog involved. There was also Bonnie and Charlie. Um, And so far, they have raised an impressive £4,200 by completing 100 miles throughout February, wherever they are. So, uh, yeah, hats off to them. Well done. And yeah, particularly, particularly in 12 inches of snow. Uh, That sounds very challenging. Yeah,
1: it's not been good walking weather in New York in February. It's been really, really severe out there. So uh, (laughs) big well done to Sydney. Hope Sydney gets a biscuit. Absolutely. What have you got for us? My good news this week is that a Banksy painting of a young boy ditching his Batman and Spider-Man action figures for a caped superhero nurse is going to be auctioned and is expected to raise in the region of £3 million, which will be donated to NHS charities. Um, The black and white portrait by the mysterious street artist was delivered to Southampton Hospital last May with a note that read, thanks for all you're doing. I hope this brightens the place up a bit, even if it's only in black and white. Um, And so the anonymous artist is now auctioning his original canvas or her original canvas, I should say, because we don't know and we shouldn't gender these things. The anonymous graffiti artist is now auctioning the original canvas to raise funds for the NHS and a reproduction of the work will remain in the hospital. The painting has a pre-sale estimate of between 2.5 to £3.5 million. Catherine Arnold, who is the co-head of post-war and contemporary art in Europe at Christie's, which is the auctioneer, said that at a time when we can dare to hope again and look at life beyond the pandemic, it's important to reflect on the many symbols of strength and hope that we have seen internationally since the beginning of 2020. Yay! Our Banksy portraits always fetch quite a pricely sum. And I really love that not just this painting was delivered to NHS staff this time a year ago, but that is now being carried on in possibly one of the most tangible ways by auctioning off to raise money for charity. So good for Banksy. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: Absolutely good for Banksy. And I mean, I do think it's interesting that you said we shouldn't gender these things because obviously Banksy tends to operate around um, sort of... uh, Bristol, Western Supermare, East London, which are all places very dear to my heart because I've lived in all those places. So I'm just saying maybe we shouldn't gender these things.
1: Are you telling me you're Banksy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not.
1: Are you sure? Because that's exactly what Banksy would say. Banksy would say that. Oh, (laughs) you heard it here first, everyone.
0: (laughs) No, this is such a great news story. Love Banksy's work. And yeah, brilliant money being raised for NHS charities together. Um, And, you know, just spreading that message of the work that the NHS staff have been doing, such amazing work throughout the pandemic.
1: So next week, we are going to take a very brief hiatus from our usual schedule because we have some strategic work that we need to be thinking about. But never fear, we are going to be back with a new episode on March 26th. We're not leaving you for long. We just need A little moment of pause first.
0: Absolutely. So we'll be back then. Uh, In the meantime, you could make sure you subscribe to this, The Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it.
1: Until then, I am Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And our producer is Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. And we will see you very soon.